Welcome to Powwow Live Podcast from powwows.com, connecting you with native culture since 1996. Here's your host, Paul Gowder. Hello, and welcome to the Powwow Live Podcast. This is the podcast from powwows.com, your place to explore, experience, and connect with Native American culture. I'm Paul Gowder, your host, and thank you so much for being here. On today's show, I've got an interview with a native athlete who is an ultimate Frisbee player in the professional ultimate leagues. Brandon Mattis will tell you all about what it's like to be a native athlete and in a sport that's maybe not as mainstream as as some others, and also tell you about what it's been like learning more about his heritage as he went through his adulthood. But don't forget... We also have a giveaway going on right now. We're giving away 10 Pendleton blankets in the month of February. Stay tuned at the end of the show, and I'll give you a bonus code on how to get extra entries into that contest. You can find that over at www.powwows.com slash win. I've got some other special trivia, uh, a native fact of the week, and other announcements at the end of the show. But for now, here is Brandon Mattis, native ultimate Frisbee player. Okay, so I have to ask you to start with, when was the first time you remember having a Frisbee in your hands? Uh, first time I remember having a Frisbee in my hand, not like an, not an official one. I mean, no, I yeah, yeah, like just those, playing around. Do you, yeah, those you remember? beach ones? Yeah, yeah, I don't know. I was probably a kid at some point. I, I can't remember exactly when it was, but I know I used to throw the, the kind of like 99 cent <laughs> Target Walmart ones around in yeah. the backyard every once in a while. Or the... That's- the the rubber ring ones that don't have a, a center to them. I used to throw those every once. So oh yeah, probably, yeah. I was probably elementary school, middle school. Um, awesome, cool. And so, and we'll go ahead now. Tell us a little bit about you know yourself and how did you get into to playing disc sports? Yeah, so uh, my name's Brandon Mattis. I'm a professional ultimate frisbee player for the Minnesota Windchill. Um, I got into frisbee because of a swim team that i was on believe it or not so i swam in high school and college um the swim team that i was on in high school used to play like pick up frisbee on friday afternoons in the summer just to do some team bonding and uh, get some cardio in before we hit the pool and i loved it so i was looking for some more opportunities to play found a uh, local like high school team that played pickup on Saturday afternoons started going to those and uh, long story short they convinced me to to start our high school team because we didn't actually have one so I ended up playing one year in high school my senior year we had 12 12 players which for us seven people on a field at a time so not not too many and 10 of them were seniors so surprisingly that program is still around even after all that um, yeah. And then I went on to play five years in college. I actually tried out for the pro team my 
junior year of college. I was 19. Um, was the last player taken on the inaugural roster in 2013. Nice. I am the resident OG now. I'm the only one left that's played every season. Uh, and I haven't looked back since. So I quit swimming to play Frisbee full time. And it uh, ultimately, pun intended, seemed like the, <laughs> the right decision. <laughs> and I'm sure a lot of people are, are you know, they've maybe seen ultimate played at college, like pickup games, like you were saying, um, and don't even know that there is college. Um, there's a, it's a big college scene with mm-hmm. ultimate um, competitively. And then now that we have the pro league too. So, you know, for those out there that aren't familiar with it, can, yeah. Can you talk a little bit about the, the college and the pro levels there? Yeah, there's two main levels. There's the amateur and, and pro or semi-pro. I mean, we're not quite at the level yet where we're, doing this full-time. So some people consider it semi-pro it's trying to be a professional sport. So, I mean, we'll label it as pro because of that, but the amateur level would be, you know, youth. So middle school, high school, um, college, and then adult club actually, which is really, really competitive. Um, I mean, it doesn't have to be, but it, it, it does get really competitive. Um, and that's all kind of tournament format. So you, you know, go to one location with eight to, you know, 32 teams or so and play like kind of a pool play round robin, just like you would see in soccer or some of those other sports. Um, It's all self-call, which is pretty unique. Um, There's observers at higher levels, but the the point of the sport was to kind of be an anti-sport. So you're supposed to kind of, you know, use sportsmanship, um, not cheat, not you know, you not use the rules to your advantage, talk about discrepancies with the players on the field. So that's kind of one like exciting uh, or unique little nuance about the the kind of amateur level. Um, most of us on in the pro league also play club. So we're also, you know, playing that kind of tournament format in the, in the fall. Um, and then the pro leagues, the AUDL started in 2012, which is the one that I play in. There was another, men's pro league called the MLU, which is since folded. So the, M, uh, the AUDL is the only men's pro league left. And then recently the premier ultimate league, um, for women and non-binary players. And then the Western ultimate league, which, um, is basically just like the West coast equivalent of the, the PUL started up too. So there's some nuance between those, those games, um, are the AUDLs reft instead of, self-call i think Mm. mostly just because it's easier for fans to enjoy and easier to watch on a live stream um and then it's one game format so we just play a game on saturday four quarters and then we're done it's not the kind of tournament round robin style um and then yeah i don't know there's it's it's mostly the clock and the refs that are the big difference between between the leagues but most of us are are playing both we're playing the AUDL from January to August when our season ends. And then we're playing club from June to October when, when club nationals is. So it's uh, 10 straight months of grinds with the disc in your hands. It's <laughs> a long time. Um, yeah. And, and what, so I got into the disc golf during um, the whole quarantine. And yep. one of the people I was following was Brody Smith, who was an ultimate player. So was, yeah. was he in the league you're in? He was. Yep. Okay. So he was on the, he was on the inaugural indie team in 2012. 
And then I can't remember when he fell out of the league, but he played with Indy for a couple of years. And then he played with Chicago for a little bit and Chicago and Indy are both in uh, my division, the division that Minnesota's in. And so I actually played against Brody for two to three years, probably yeah. before he, he hung it up. Um, really good player, super athletic, big, uh, amazing throws. Uh, unfortunately it was a little bit injury riddled. Uh, by the time the AUDL got around. So he didn't really get to have a successful pro pro frisbee career, but uh seems like the disc golf thing is working out for him now. Yeah, it's so far. Um, <laughs> curious, you know, this is uh, really like third year on the tour. Um, yeah. Last year he missed some, well, his first year he missed some some tournaments because of Lyme disease. And then last year he missed some because oh, of wow. COVID. So yeah, I didn't even know that. Yeah, and we've gotten uh, in the disc golf. We've gotten several ultimate players switching over. Um, Leah now switching over, and there's a couple other yep. females that have made the switch. So it's interesting to see um, how that's going. Uh, you know, I think if, like for Brody, ultimate eventually his knees, he just couldn't do it anymore. Um, right. Yeah. So right. now that we, now that you guys are really taking off and, and having that kind of rise like disc golf is having, it'll be interesting to see if there is more of a transition. As they get a little older, are they going to start moving yeah. over to other Yeah, for sports? sure. I yeah. mean, I started – I never played disc golf, really. Um, the, the discs are so different. I mean, you know, right. like a, a, an ultimate disc is meant to fly flat for a long distance so that people can run onto it, whereas a disc golf disc moves in so many different ways and the speed and the spin, and it's like totally like you, you could be a really good ultimate thrower and not be a good disc golf thrower at all. Yeah. Um, so I – I never played it just because I was uncomfortable with those discs, but I picked it up a little bit over the pandemic. Like you were saying, I mean, it was an easy way to get with one or two friends in a safe way outside and be distanced and still have a disc in your hands and, right. and do something uh, relatively athletic. So I think a lot of people found disc golf to be a, a fun hobby to pick up over the pandemic. And right now there's a lot more, more money in it than there is for ultimate. So that's certainly appealing to people too. Um, and we know how, we know how to throw discs. So, uh, take a little bit of practice, but eventually it <laughs> comes around pretty quickly, I think, especially for, for people like Leah. Yeah. I mean, if you're already an athlete, there's, you know, there's certain things that you're already going to be good at. Um, and yeah, you're right. The money right now, you've got top two, <laughs> top two players on the men's side are both making a million dollars a year. Um, that's a lot of money. That's a lot of money. Yeah, I'm pretty, pretty jealous about that contract. Not going to lie. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> We're not I'm, even close to there yet. I'm wearing Macbeth stuff tonight. I mean, he's doing <laughs> really well. Um, Macbeth and Wasaki, both are incredible. Um, well, and so in disc, disc sports, I mean, in general, whether it's ultimate or disc golf, it's a really low barrier to entry. But yet I don't, it doesn't have that, um, Super wide, uh, I guess, except not acceptance, but it's just there's not a whole lot of um, penetration into young kids. It's not, it's not like down here, at least in the south, you know, where there's uh, any field in the summer, there's, you know, 100 kids to, or more playing soccer at seven o'clock in the morning and then going all day. You know, what is it going to take now to to get either one of these sports a little more widely known and, and for people, for some of these kids to figure out there is, um, like you said, maybe not full professional, but at least semi-professional route here that they could make some of this a career. Yeah. I mean, I think the, the advent of the, the semi-pro or pro leagues is a big step in that direction. We're, we're live streaming games. We're routinely getting on 
uh, sports center, top 10 plays. Um, you know, we've, we've had a couple showcases in front of NFL crowds who are playing at halftime of the Vikings or Packers games, stuff like that. Just the more eyeballs that we can get on the sport, obviously is going to help increase that. Um, I think it's a relatively new sport too. Um, at least at the level that it is now. So I think a lot of, um, we, we have a long way to go in terms of getting people out there and coaching, but with, with people getting more elite playing experience and now, you know, having played for a long time and then being able to, or getting to the age where they're thinking about retiring, like we can, we can switch some players over to, to coaching. And I think that'll certainly help, but yeah, I mean, the, the, the money is a big thing. I mean, the ADL has been working to do some stuff where we, you know, send discs to teams and have them run mini camps with local, um, you know, city parks and rec departments. And we give discs away and try to reduce the, I mean, that's, that's what it's all about. If we can get people on board, good sponsors, good people that are willing to put the time and effort in, uh, and then continue to, you know, get the, get the sport and the highlights in front of some eyeballs. I think the the combination of those is really what it's going to take because you're right. I mean, at, at its simplest, all you need is a disc. Like the right. sport was, the sport was invented where people are playing barefoot and you can, you can use shoes for cone. Like you literally just need a, you know, $10 piece of plastic and a couple of friends and you can play. So, right. um, yeah, it's a matter of getting, getting eyeballs on the sport and, uh, getting people and resources that are willing to invest in, in doing so. So yeah, and, I think that's where we're at right now. Agreed. And more eyeballs. That's the key. Um, it's also exciting to see and going back to disc golf, um, Ricky Wasaki, he's doing a, a foundation where they're going to send discs to schools. Um, and then Macbeth is doing a foundation where they're putting courses in, um, for underprivileged areas and people who may not have access to a, to a course anywhere soon. I know they did one in Mexico. They've done one in the inner cities of um, Chicago um, and the PDGA with Leah's help. It just put a course in um, or worked with the tribe. And so there's a new course going in in Cherokee, North Carolina. Um, yeah. That's amazing. Yeah, it, yeah, it was really great. I know um, when I talked to Leah, she, you know, we, we talked about that and her involvement with the PDGA board and, and really trying to reach out to, um, the indigenous community, but are you, what are you seeing in your sport? I mean, how it, are you seeing more, um, not just indigenous athletes, but, you know, minority athletes at all? Is that, is it a growing area in your sport? Is it still an, an area that needs I, to focus? I think it is. Um, I think the ultimate community as a whole is, is very progressive and socially conscious. Um, the, I mean, the, the increase of the women's divisions and the non-binary divisions, like those are definitely helping. I feel like you need to, you need to have role models that look like you in order to, you know, feel like you can, you can play a sport. Um, so that's certainly helped. Um, you know, I think there's been a big focus on specifically getting more black athletes involved in playing. Um, I, I was pretty impressed with the call, the college division had like a rescheduling from may last year usually nationals is in may but they did a december nationals this year just because of, of covid and some scheduling issues um and i was pretty impressed with the women's division i saw a lot of uh asian american women players specifically so i i mean it's it's a known issue i think or um want in the frisbee community and i think there's a lot of people that are pushing for it um, gotten a lot better. I still think there's obviously a lot of work to do in that department, but 
um, yeah, it starts with getting more people involved, right? The more people that the more popular the sport is, the lower the cost of entry and the more people that look like you that play, I think the, the higher the chance that that's going to increase. And we hope it does. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, I know like the golf and the PGA, um, put a lot of money into reaching out to, to minority communities. Um, but there's the, I mean, yeah, still to, to get into golf. I mean, you're talking hundreds of dollars. Um, and that's just to get on a course where ultimately you right. just get the field and disc golf, 90% of the courses are free. So just show up and start yep. playing. Yeah. I, yep. I'm hoping it really does spread. Um, all right. So I asked Leah this question too. You know, I know you're touring all over the country. You're moving about. Are you able to, when you're out, are you able to hit any powwows? Are you able to see any of that when you're on tour? You know, I, this is probably a good, a good time to bring this up. Uh, I, I didn't grow up with my native heritage like at all. Um, my grandpa actually didn't find out that he was native until he was 48. And at that point, my mom was already 26. And like, so they, you know, they were never really involved with it growing up. Um, I took it kind of upon myself, especially with the, the known issues that kind of stemmed from the pandemic and we're in Minneapolis. So, you know, George Floyd and everything that surrounded that, um, it, it really sparked an interest in me to take, uh, you know, to learn more about that side of my family's heritage. Um, I, I'm very, I've, I've obviously been very privileged, um, you know, to grow up, uh, the way that I have in kind of suburban America and being white presenting and mixed. Um, so I, it's, it's been very recent that I've dove in. Um, I've only been to a handful of powwows. I actually have an aunt who is not on my mom's side at all. So we're not blood related. It's just through marriage. Um, but she's taken me to a few and I've really leaned on her to kind of help out. Um, I've not been able to attend any while I've been traveling for Frisbee, but it is something that I'd be really excited to do coming up. So that's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, this, you know, you definitely try to hit some up. Um, <laughs> so I was telling Leah, hopefully, you know, we can, uh, if I'm out at a powwow, we can maybe um, meet up or something, but yeah. Um, that would be amazing. Yeah. And I don't think your story is unique. Um, it's something you know, I didn't, it was not talked about in my family either until later in life. Um, yeah. And I don't think that's unique. I think that's a uh, fairly common. So um, you, you want like, so you want to tell me more about, or you want to talk any more about that and how that struggle has been going or, or, you know, anything else about that part of it? I found some, I mean, it's been kind of unique. Like I feel like there's a mixed bag, uh, between people that are very excited about, um, either mixed or, you know, on like disconnected indigenous and native people that have been trying to reconnect. And I feel like there's maybe a little bit of, uh, a, a stigma around that as well. Um, you know, just not being involved and, uh, it, yeah, I, I think my story probably connects with a lot of people and that it's not, it's not necessarily my fault, um, that I didn't grow up with that. And I think, uh, as long as you continue to kind of learn and, um, recognize obviously where my privileges come from with the things that I've talked about before, but, um, you know, try to learn and be invested in issues and give back to native businesses and organizations and communities and do some of that kind of stuff. I think if you're, if your head and heart's in the right place, um, that's really all that matters in my opinion. So, um, I know, I know where I come from, obviously I know what my, what my privileges are, but it's still, it's still a part of who I am. It's still a part of my family's history. So it's something that I've, 
I ca- I care to learn more about, obviously. Um, yeah, you get the, I mean, I, I had like a, a little high school program actually, which I think is really cool looking back on it. Um, we got pulled out of class. There was like maybe eight to 10 of us, uh, at my high school that would get pulled out of class once a month. And we had somebody from a local tribe that would come talk to us about some cultural stuff and we would craft a little bit. And, um, I mean, it kind of felt like just a way for me to get out of doing real schoolwork. (laughs) Uh, but looking back, it was pretty cool that our district had that program. Um, and I might not have even really, really known that that was a piece of us until, or unless I had that, um, Right. You get this, you get kind of the stares like, oh, what is, what is he leaving class for? And then you kind of tell him what's for this Native American program. And they're like, well, you, you, I mean, you look really white, like you can't be that much native. And it's like I me, mean, but I am, you know, like we, we have that. I can, I can trace that back to, to grandpa and great grandpa. So I know it's, <laughs> I know it's there. Um, so yeah, I, there's, it doesn't feel like a struggle. I mean, like there's definitely, there's definitely been some stigma. There's some interesting conversations with people where you kind of have to explain, uh, you know, the whole relationship between, uh, the tribe and growing up disconnected and blood quantum and all those kind of things. But, um, yeah, I've really enjoyed my experience learning about it recently, the good, the bad and the ugly. I think all that stuff is important and, um, just going to continue kind of doing my best to, to keep doing that and lean on some people that like, like yourself who've reached out and Leah, who is one of the few disc sport, uh, indigenous people that I know. So try to try to connect with her as much as I can. I finally got to meet her at nationals club nationals this last October, which is amazing. Um, yeah. And like my aunt and a couple other people who have just been really helpful and just, just learn and absorb as much as I can. And, uh, but recognize that, you know, I've been a little bit more lucky than some people too. So. Yeah. And when we were talking um, uh, before the interview, um, you had mentioned that, you know, there, there's other native athletes out there that, um, that you have kind of followed or whatever. Um, do you want to mention any of those other people kind of role models or inspiration for you? Yeah, I think uh, actually one of the biggest ones and this, this ties kind of directly back to maybe not, not being super comfortable with, with diving into rediving into the culture. Um, Spencer O'Brien, she's a Canadian, um, snowboard Olympian. Um, not too long ago, I think it was during the pandemic. So it must've been 2020, probably she posted an Instagram post about what it was like to kind of grow up mixed and, um, what it looked like to be a white presenting, uh, you know, native person. And, how she would get the looks and the conversations. So I really appreciated her perspective on it. I think it gave me some introspection for myself on kind of what my experience was like. Um, so shout out to her for sure. That was really her, her experience and the way that she wrote about it was super instrumental for me personally. Um, gave me the confidence to kind of dive into it without, without all the, uh, the kind of embarrassment or like, uh, imposter syndrome that kind of comes with that. Um, I've been following the Thompson brothers for lacrosse. I think, uh, Lyle specifically has been killing it lately. Um, Bridget LaRoque from Canada. She's doing scouting for the the Blackhawks right now for hockey. She's amazing. Um, yeah, there've been a few, I mean, that's where I started, right? Like I'm an athlete by heart and by nature. So like, 
the easiest way for me to start connecting, I think, with with the indigenous background that I have was to find people that are also athletes as they think like you. So that's definitely where I started. Um, and then, you know, if they were willing to share some of the orgs that they're interested in or working with or shops or that kind of thing, then I would, then I would slowly add to my kind of repertoire of social media followings and, uh, you know, organizations that I was looking out for and stuff like that. So that's where it's kind of started with just, trying to follow as many native athletes as I could and then kind of branch out in different categories from there. Uh, those are, those are three that I've been a big fan of the last couple of years though. That's awesome. And then Leah and then Leah, yeah. obviously, I mean, she's the only other person I know in disc sports or at least, you know, that, that level of disc sports, right. The kind of right. like elite her her pro. Um, so it's been kind of cool to connect with her and uh, I know lean on um, her. Jennifer Allen in disc golf. Um, I think she's Oklahoma Cherokee. I think. Okay. Um, I've reached out to her a couple of times. We've, when we've missed each other trying to get, get interviews, but, um, and talking to Leah, apparently, I mean, she's a, she doesn't tour com- completely because she is a mom of, of a few kids and has a really sure. busy schedule. So I haven't been able to hook that up with her, but I know tough. she's, um, she's also involved. Um, so yeah, that's cool. And you'll have to forgive me. I'm not I'm not a disc golfer, so I don't that's really okay. follow that the sport that much. So if I missed anybody, I'm sure I missed plenty. Oh of yeah, I'm sure that, I'm sure I'm missing sports. a lot too. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um yeah, it was it was super cool when I when I first um saw Leah on uh I saw her because she was running for the PDGA board. Um is really how yep. I saw her um and getting to meet her um at the um, United States Disc Golf Championship was really fun. Uh she's a super cool. she's a great personality, just man, the energy and yeah. Um, yeah. Um, that was cool. So if people are looking to follow you and follow your sport, where's the best place to go? Yeah. So USA ultimate is the governing body of the kind of like amateur level. So they're the ones that are going to run youth, which would be middle school and high school. So if you want to get your kids involved in playing, that's the first place I would start. Um, they also run the college and club division. So there's a lot of, uh, their, their social media, you can find a lot of like live streams of games and things like that. If you're looking for the pro level, uh, I play for the AUDL, which is the American Ultimate Disc League. My team is the Minnesota Windchill. So if you just like Google those, um, they're pretty active on social. You can find me on Twitter, Instagram, uh, bmattis 61 is my handle on both of those. Um, yeah, that's where you can find us. And then the, the other two that I mentioned earlier were the Premier Ultimate league and the western ultimate league um there's not too many frisbee leagues so if you google those you should be able to <laughs> to find their youtube or their their website and stuff like that so but if you're looking for like ways to play i would definitely start with the usa ultimate because they they kind of like span the the widest range of playing opportunities and you mentioned before we started recording today's was, was tryout for your team yeah we just started um we usually do an open tryout, which is like literally anybody in the community can come. Um, but with, with COVID and trying to keep numbers down, I mean, it's, it's like 20 degrees and there's a bunch of snow on the ground in Minnesota. So we have to be indoors. Um, they dome a lot of the turf fields around here. Um, so with, with the restrictions there, we, we did an application only uh, process this, this year. Uh, so we had 50 athletes in attendance this weekend. We're going to whittle it down a little bit and have kind of a second round of, of tryouts next weekend. Um, and then after that, the team's going to be solidified. So uh, we'll start 
practices about two weeks following that. And then everything kind of dominoes because the season goes really fast once the team is picked. Like the first game, uh, you know, in at the beginning of May is going to be here before we know it. So it gets crazy. <laughs> and you know, one of the things I meant to ask about earlier, but you mentioned you, know, you guys are, are semi-pro like a, a lot of in disc golf and, and other um, sports at, at this level. So I know you've got some sponsorships and other things like that. How are you making a living on tour? I'm not. Um, I have a full t- I have a full time nine to five job, and most right. of do actually. So I work in marketing for a cybersecurity company. Um, I'm basically a ghostwriter. I run our blog, um, some stuff like that, um, and the, the frisbee is a passion project for me. But I have a lot of faith in the sport. I have a lot of faith in the AUDL. Um, I have a lot of faith in the women's leagues. Um, so I, I expect them at some point to be uh, in a situation where people could could start doing this full time. And I, I mean, I think there's a few like there's a couple guys from New York in our league that are like having their uh, like rent paid for and stuff. for the, So they I mean, they could play only ultimate if they really needed to. Um, but I mean, for me, like I'm. I'm approaching 30, which is not super old, but it's old for sports or it's starting to get old for sports, especially a sport that runs as much as Frisbee does. Um, so for me, it's more about just kind of like paving the path for the next generation. I'm trying to leave the league in a better spot than it was when I found it um, kind of thing. So the the sponsorship stuff that I've been doing is mostly just because I have marketing backgrounds. Um, and I, I mean, you look at sports like the NBA or the NFL and like Giannis has more followers than the bucks do, um, for example. So I think that Frisbee players are maybe a little bit uncomfortable with the kind of self-promotion aspect that comes along with making the jump into being like a true professional athlete. So a lot of my sponsorship stuff for tour, are you having to depend on sponsorships and other job opportunities? Yeah. So I don't make a living playing ultimate. Um, I have a nine to five day job. I work in marketing for a cybersecurity company, like running the blog and writing. Um, and I think that ties into kind of like how I've approached um, being a professional ultimate player. I mean, you mentioned that I have a couple of sponsorships and ambassador things. That was more kind of for me to, I mean, I'm a little bit of an older player at 30. I, I don't know how many how many miles are left on the body, but I'd, I'd like to kind of leave the league in a better place than I found it. Um, so knowing that I have a marketing background, knowing that, you know, the players are the brands, right? Like right. a Giannis for the Bucks is going to have more followers than the actual Bucks are, or like people follow LeBron, people follow Tom Brady. Um, so I think that's kind of the jump that we need to make. And I think ultimate players have been a little bit shy, I think, about some of the self-promotion stuff. Um, they shouldn't because it's a great sport and the people in the leagues are amazing athletes. Um, yeah. So some of the sponsorship stuff that I've been doing is mostly just a way for me to kind of like prove that it can be done, prove that brands and companies are willing to work with Frisbee players as an as athletes, um, you know, hopefully to, to set the tone and, and help the kind of next wave or next generation of younger players be able to do this full time. I mean, I definitely think that I have a lot of faith in the league, uh, the league that I play in. And I think the, people are hungry for women's sports too. So I have a lot of faith in the, the two women's pro leagues that have, that have started up recently. So, um, 
yeah, I'm just, I'm here to kind of help grow, grow those leagues. And, um, if I can make a few bucks while I do it, instead of having to, you know, pay a bunch of money to travel for, for club tournaments every summer. Um, I mean, I'm still going to do that too, but like, <laughs> the, the, there, there's a lot of benefits. I, I would, I would love to play anyway. So to be able to get paid anything and then have brands be willing to work with me, uh, on top of kind of paving the way I think is a, is a win-win for me. So that's kind of how I've approached being a, a pro or semi-pro Frisbee player. Yeah. And I think that's, you know, when I hear people, um, in, in disc golf or in sports like yours, you know, it's, it is a passion. Um, and it's something you'd be doing whether you're paid or not. We've got people in disc golf that are living in their Priuses, um, and making YouTube videos about it. Um, you know, and spending a whole year doing that before he got any sponsorships. So, um, it is something as the sport grows, I'm hoping that that will turn out to be a little better, better for all the players. Yeah, absolutely. Well, yeah, man, thanks so much for spending a little time with me. That was awesome. Um, I hope hope it'll help at least grow the sport a little bit or give a little bit more light on, you know, the ultimate sport and and that it is so accessible. It's so easy to get started. And I uh, hope some people will go out there, watch a few videos, uh, maybe catch some live streams and then uh, grab a disc and head out to the field. Absolutely. I would love to see so many more indigenous people playing ultimate. Um, if you if you want. Uh, I gave out my, my social handles before, yeah. uh, you need help, uh, setting up a clinic or anything, getting some discs in people's hands. Like, don't please reach out to me. Uh, do not hesitate to, I would love to have, uh, I would love to give some more access to indigenous athletes to be able to play this sport. Cause I think it's super fun. I think everybody who loves sports would also think it's super fun. And with the costs of you know, being so, so low, at least at the, at least at the entry level, for sure. Right. Um, right. Any travel it, sport is going to get expensive, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So yeah, don't hesitate to reach out to me. I would love to at least get you, get you pointed in the right direction. If you, if you need help with, with some That's resources. Awesome. Yeah. We're talking to Lee about maybe doing a clinic this year. So maybe that we can uh, do a combined clinic. That'd be fun. Absolutely. And I told, I told Leah, I'm not a good disc golfer, but if she needs help, I am <laughs> more than willing to, to help with the clinic. I'll, they'll do whatever it needs. Even if it's just shagging discs, I'll be happy to be out there helping. <laughs> That's probably about all the help I would be too. I'm, yeah. I'm nowhere, nowhere close to her level. So <laughs> me neither. Not at that sport anyway. <laughs> all right, man. Well, good luck on the season and hopefully, uh, hopefully we'll hook up at some point. Yeah. I appreciate it. Thanks, Thanks. a lot. so much brandon for spending a few minutes with us and telling us about your exciting career i hope you'll get out and either try to play ultimate frisbee check it out on the live stream and just grab a disc and go have some fun and if you're interested in playing disc golf of course hit me up i'd love to talk disc golf with you all right as promised i've got a couple things for you first um announcement about our powwow calendar we are entering more and more powwows into the calendar every week Powwows are starting to happen again, and powwow season is really getting full. So be sure to check that often over at www.powwows.com calendar. Also want to say a special thank you to our Patreons for supporting us and helping us put out content like this podcast. 
In 2022, we are going to try to get to even more powwows and stream in more places than we ever have before. And you can help us get to that goal by going and joining our Patreon. Go check it out over at www.powwownation.com. Thank you so much for your support. All right, here is the bonus code to get you extra entries into the Pendleton Blanket Contest. Head over to www.powwows.com slash win and enter code 75989. That'll get you extra entries into the contest. It's 75989. Good luck. All right, I also have a native fact of the week and a trivia question for you. Did you know that almost half of U.S. states derive their name from native terms? So here's your trivia question of the week. Head over to www.powallife.com and you can enter your answer in the form there. Name one state that didn't get its name from a native term, word, or phrase. One state. So be one state that didn't derive their name from that. Over at www.powallife.com. And I'll draw, before next week's show, I'll draw out of the, all of the correct answers. I'll draw a winner and you'll get to win a powells.com t-shirt. So go check that out and good luck on that. Again, I want to thank you for listening to the show. It's so great to have you here with me. I'm Paul Gatter. I'm the founder of powwows.com, and this is your place. Powwows.com is your community to learn, explore, connect with Native American culture. I hope you have a great week, and I'll talk to you soon. Thanks for listening to the Powwow Life podcast from powwows.com. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast to get notified of our next episode. Find a powwow near you by visiting www.powwows.com forward slash calendar. Support powwows.com by visiting www.powwownation.com. Here's this week's trivia question. You can head over to powwowlife.com to fill out the form and submit your answer. All the right answers are entered into a drawing for a 10-sticker powwows.com sticker pack. Here's the question. This year, we are celebrating a big milestone. We have been live streaming for a number of years. So tell me, what year was the first year we streamed and what was the first powwow we streamed? If you've been listening or following our content, you should be able to find it. Good luck. Powwowlife.com to submit your answer. What was the first powwow and what year did we first live stream? Good luck and thank you so much for listening. I'll see you next week.